This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Namai, Harimai, Kiara, Tanakwe, Free FM, 89.0, Independent Community Media, Cosmopolitan News and Views on a very miserable Sunday afternoon. Hey, and all to the runners, all through the town. Yeah, garden places buzzing right at this present moment. So if you're down there in the square at the moment, enjoy your day. It's a bit wet, and congratulations to all the runners, the winners, and the losers. You're all great, and what a great event for this Sunday afternoon. It is Sunday, November 13, 2022. It is day 313. It is 49 days to go. Well, remember a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned a case of some so-called hoons who have kind of went to the Haltapu Cemetery and desecrated graves there. Well, their day in court came this week and uh, they were sentenced to various, um, various sentences by the one and only Judge Robert Spear. Um, he, to one defendant, he said... Mr. O'Brien, one of the defendant's lawyers, has suggested you get a bike, and it makes a lot of sense, said Judge Spear. He also had a warning for the defendant. You are now developing a track record unless you learn from this, and you will find your whole life will be blighted by this sort of outcome. So, yes, Judge Spear sentenced these people. I have personal um, thing, uh, per- personal beliefs with, of course, with this um, Haltapu Cemetery. My grandparents are buried there. My step-grandfather is buried there. And I've got friends who are also buried there. And I have a feeling that on the other side of my family, if they ever did that to, um, if anybody did that to the Pukirimu Cemetery where my grandparents and parents are buried, I would get very angry. And so would other members of my family. Well, it's time to look into history 1990, 32 years ago today. <laughs> Excuse me. Deranged gunman David Gray leaves 13 dead. <sighs> With ages ranging 6 to 71 in Aramoana near Dunedin. Gray, an unemployed 23-year-old at the time, and his killing rampage came about after a dispute with a neighbour. During a house-to-house search, they located Gray, who burst out shooting a number of anti-weapons um, at the anti-terrorist squad. Among the victims was Sergeant Stu Guthrie. Well, from 1990, here's Double J and Twice the T. Here at Free FM. Left to be green. Yo, the ocean, the air, you know what I mean, I fucking 
FM 89.0 independent community media deaf to be green that is the band New Zealand music there from 1990 that is double J and twice the T well 1921 102 years ago today actor Charles Bronson was born Uh, film roles including The Great Escape The Magnificent Seven Once Upon a Time in the West and Death Wish Bronson was once described as a Clark Gable left out in the sun. Bronson died August 20, 2003.
FM 89.0, independent community media. This is Cosmopolitan News and Views. And that is the John Barry Seven, the Magnificent Seven, as we remember Charles Bronson, who was uh, born this day. Well, it is, sadly, it is getting close to Jimmy Christmas. You walk through the shops, the shopping centres, in the middle of November, and it's Christmas. Looks like Santa's Christmas grotto is coming earlier. He took me to his workshop and told How do you think? What do you think about Christmas so early? All the Christmas trees and Christmas presents. Have you decided what are you going to get your kids for Christmas? Christmas Day. You better write your letter now and mail it right away because he's getting ready, his reindeers and his sleigh. Well, we better leave Christmas behind. Good afternoon, Mel. How are we today? Yes, looking forward to Christmas and the holiday spirit. Okay, let's see if we can wind up the turntable. Oh, those turntables are still useful. Um, Are we going to get any sound out of them? So, um, just let me turn some volume up right now. Oh, here we go. As we talk military matters, Mel, who's our guest? Like many modern sports, marching has a long history that moves from serious to fun on the scale of achievement. Composers begin writing music to go with the motion of marching 500 years ago. To help the marchers in open spaces hear the beat, the composers strongly accent their music so it reaches even distant ears. I've got a personal touch on this. My mother did uh, marching when she was a young person. At its best, marching becomes a spectacle. An exhibition of coloured uniforms, coordinated motion and infectious rhythm. How could anyone ignore such precision of body, beat and music? Years ago, it fills our guest with rapt attention to its insistent beat. Marching is on her mind ever since. Remember that occasion? Tamara Hayward of Tokoroa. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Hey, uh, what, one thing I'm going to ask you first off, do young boys do marching? Um, not all the time, but we are welcome to um, having young men um, do marching. Um, there has been in the past, um, in the Open Free Choice, and um, we've had um, boys march as well. So absolutely, we're for all people, all ages. <laughs> Accomplished marching teams perform it with such precision. It's made to look easy, Tamara, yet only by gruelling hours of practice and care of uniforms and presentation may the marchers reach performance standard. The season's now in full swing with events planned well ahead. Tell us. Oh, yeah, so we, um, we've just kicked off our competitive um, side of the season. So it's very exciting for Waikato Marching. We had our first competition yesterday, which was a great success. 
Um, it's always really cool to see the different teams out on the field and um, showing us what they've been up to and where they're at and seeing them, um, you know, grow and develop as a team is always really, really exciting to watch. And going back those years, who did you first march for? So originally I marched for Watchdale uh, marching team uh, when I was quite a bit younger. So going back a few years, I was in the under-12 team for um, Rochdale and also moved up to the under-16 team with them. Um, and many years passed and I hadn't marched for a while, but I'm back marching. I've been marching for the past six years with Madison Blues marching and for their senior team. It calls for a lot of volunteer time. Do you have enough? We can always do with volunteers, absolutely. Um, so marching isn't just about the girls that are on the field. There's a lot that goes on in the background. Um, so there's the coaches, there's the judges, there's the volunteers like our chaperones that have to be on the field that look after our girls and, and their welfare. Um, there's all the people behind the competitions, the ones that organise it, like the association, there's um, the music people, the ones that lay the field, uh, the people that um, uh, introduce the teams onto the field, and there's so many different people in our community, um, and we're always looking for more, uh, always, always looking for more, just to not only get, get to know new people, but to um, introduce people into our sport. It's been around a long time. Why isn't marching more popular than it is? That's a really, really good question. I, I'm not 100% sure why. I feel like so many people have done marching in the past, um, you know, and, and it's, it's such a open um, sport for any people of any ages, any, you know, um, skills and stuff. It's non-biased. So I feel like... Uh, we're not really in the public view. People don't really know that we are still around, but we're absolutely still around and we're still going. And it's it's really in- interesting watching um, the different teams out there. And yet it's nothing to make it more popular than the public being exposed to marching. Is it that you've got big parks or what places where you do march? For Waikato marching, we do a lot of um, our competition at the Gallagher Hockey, hockey Turf. <clears throat> so we're there most Saturdays um, during the competitive phase of the season. Um, Madison Blues, uh, we train out on a black uh, park, Matatua Park in, in Rotorua. Um, so we're right on the corner just to try and get us out there. And it has definitely worked, you know, people driving past. We get the totes and we get people stopping in and saying, hey, I used to do marching or my mum or my nan. And it's really cool just to um, bring the community together as well. Tamara, you've joined with the others that you've met through marching. So it seems quite a social sport. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the friendships that you make is, is for life. Like, I still talk to um, those some marchers that I used to march back when I was 11, you know, 10 years old. I can still um, connect with them. And I still see them on the marching field today, which is also really, really um, awesome. And and the the bond and the friendships that you make with, within your own personal team as well um, is incredible. You you perform sisterhood, and it's it's really cool you do make these these connections with people all over the country because we do get to travel all over the country as well which is um such an awesome opportunity thinking back to the earlier times when you were acquainted first with marching 
Do you remember the feeling it was to be marching in precise unison with others of your marching team and it working well and getting good results? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you'd get the skills not only on the competition field, so feeling, um, you know, w- working together as one, but, but outside all the other um, extra skills that you, you know, take away from it, like the discipline and the, um, you know, making sure that you're tidy and you're ready to go on the on the field and um, your presentation is all, 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 all good to go. Um, and then also being so young and watching... Um, you know, looking up to the senior teams and that was such a big encouragement and is such a big um, aspiration as a young girl to, to look up to. Yeah, one, one thing with marching and having seen my mother march with her sister-in-law and other family members, the discipline of the clothing, the well, the white boots and, of course, having to <laughs> having to put white polish on those boots is that still happening today? Oh yes, oh yes, definitely. That's um, something that we do definitely do. Even when we're going away and we're doing competitions, um, us girls will at the end of the, the afternoon after training all day, we'll be cleaning our boots and polishing them up. Absolutely, it's one of the one of the fun parts. <laughs> and what and what about the bearskin caps? Of course, they they're, they're part of the uniform. The, the what? Sorry, the bearskin caps with some groups of marchers. Yeah, so there's different um, there's different um, hats um, that they wear. So there's the pill boxes. The busbies aren't very much so around anymore. Mm-hmm. But then the, and the pancake hats. So um, <laughs> getting them put on, getting into the whole the whole attire is um, very empowering because yep. you know once you're you're dressed ready to go on the field, it's you're, you're you know you've got your game face on. And of course the music. I know one of the most popular marches was of course Colonel Bogey. Yeah, everybody marched to Colonel Bogey, and you see it in old uh, old fil- film footage. Do you still march to Colonel yeah. Bogey these days? Yes, yeah. So we've still got all of our military music, and then there's also the um, display aspect of marching. So that's where teams get to um, create and interpret their own um, display um, and can create their own hand movements and whatever music, and they can interpret the hand movements to the music. So that's also a really fun part and and, and phase of marching where we get to really look into the different musics and and how we can perform that on the field and interpret it into our own way. That's also a really um, interesting um, aspect of marching, which I don't think lots of people do know about. It's creative, after all. Yes, very much so. Do you think that today the discipline that still is necessary to win competitions is driving some who like the undisciplined approach to life? Yeah, so there's a lot of discipline that goes into into marching. um, And and even when it comes to training, and we we set that discipline right from the get-go. And even with our young baby teams, we've got... um, so the ages run from four to whatever age we say four four to fabulous. Um, so it's I think such an important aspect to promote is the discipline because it you know carries you throughout your whole walk of life. Um, so definitely, especially when we're on the field and training, that the, the discipline is very much in, in tune, and it's it's really good to get you that motivation. I think the fun of it was teaching these young people to salute. Yes. 
Oh, it's awesome. Absolutely. And that's just one of the many things that we go into. <laughs> so what have you been doing marching-wise this weekend? Um, so we just had our very first uh, competition for the for the season. So that was held at um, the Gallagher Hockey Turf in Hamilton. Um, so that was really, really awesome. We had an amazing bunch of teams. Um, so we had, there's two different types of marching. There's um, competitive and non-competitive. So we had um, a few open free choice teams. So there's the non-competitive, um, which were Madison Majors, Silver Dets and Madison Babes. Uh, also, we had the under sixteen, uh, under sixteen team of Militias Waikato, and we had the senior team of Browfrat Cavaliers and Madison Blues. It was quite a wind yesterday. Did that capture the atmosphere around the Gallagher hockey fields? <laughs> we definitely felt it on the field, but it was um, because it was so sunny. We definitely enjoyed a little bit of breeze coming through. That's for sure. It is a summer sport, is it? That's correct. Absolutely. So, so we run. Um, we start recruiting in April. Uh, we usually start training in June, and then we start competing in October. And so we compete October, um, November, December. We break over the Christmas, and then we carry on back in January. And then our uh, um, our championships are held in March. And you're most so asso- season. You're most associated closely with um, Madison Blues. So what are the big challenges for Madison Blues that are looming now? Oh, I think just the normal challenges of marching, just the, um, you know, keeping that focus and that drive to keep learning and developing and working together as a team. And um, we're doing lots of um, travelling this season. So we travel to Hamilton every weekend from Rotorua, um and we, we have a competition up in Auckland this season. We've got uh, North Island down in Wellington and we've got uh, championships in Christchurch. So um, I guess one of the uh, challenges is fundraising and, and, you know, working hard to um, get the money to, to do these things. But we're constantly working and fundraising and... Um, yep. To, to, to be able to do these things. So, so there is a few sausage sizzles going on to raise the funds, the barbecues, to raise funds for all this travelling because travelling around the country is very expensive. Absolutely. So we've definitely, we've done a few sausage sizzles, absolutely. Um, and we do a few other things throughout this throughout the season. Each team, they, they take it upon um, themselves and they do their, their own fundraising for their teams. But there's some awesome, awesome stuff out there. Um, so keep an eye out and if you hear anything, um, we would love the support. We still appreciate any support that's out there for marching um, to keep us going and to keep, you know, our girls experiencing these awesome opportunities. Well, thanks for informing us about a sport that is um, a little in the shadows, it seems, these days. Yeah. I Thank don't you know so much for having me on. Oh, we'll have you on again, Tamara, if you're hey. willing to come along. Tamara Haywood of Tukaroa. Yes. Absolutely. We'll keep you updated with all the fun stuff that marching's up to. And, and, and of course, um, we, we'd love to speak to some of your young competitors, see, how, see what uh, a young person's... Um, idea about marching, whether it brings them a bit of discipline and um, gets them out of home and they're not sitting on their iPads and... (laughs) Thank you, Tamara. Until next time. It's a pleasure. Tamara Haywood. It is... It's a pleasure. Thank you, Kiora. It is four minutes past one at Free FM 89.0.
Here is Dave D, Dozy Beaky Mick and Titch from 1968, number one UK. This is the legend of Xanadu. La leyenda de Xanadu. FM 89.0 Independent Community Media Cosmopolitan News and Views Yes, he used a real whip on stage That was Dave D The late Dave D With Dozy, Beaky, Mick And Titch And the legend of Xanadu Well, we're going to talk about culture And other things very shortly Well, as you know My culture is Scottish So let's bring a bit of Scottish culture for you Ben never spent low And Ben Wallach Ben more 
snow captains blend on majestic they soared. Then Crookin' Ben, Uncle Ben, Alder Ben Stank. The proud peaks of Scotland are calling me back. Mighty the mountains from sky to Glen Shee, towering o'er clackens and glens by the sea. Summits of grandeur caressing the sky, luring me northward as winter draws nigh. Ben Nevis, Ben Lomond, Ben Morlick, Ben Moore. Snow-capped in splendor, majestic they soar. Ben Crookin, Ben Arthur, Ben Alder, Ben Stack. The proud peaks of Scotland are calling me back. Ben Nevis, Ben Lomond, Ben Morlick, Ben Moore. Snow-capped in splendor, majestic they soar. The wonderful voice of the late Kenneth McKellar, lyric tenor. And boy, what a voice. And the proud peaks of Scotland, we may uh, put it on and play it in full. When we finished our interview, we're going to talk about culture, Mel. As portable as a flute, tambourine or human voice, poetry and folk music cross continents and oceans. They connect people with their culture, much as does coconut milk, cava, <laughs> coffee, tea or beer. Hint who they are. When musicians put instrument to lips... And poets pen a thought. They share cultural lifeblood. Their music and verse, the essence of shared experience. Once it fell to the troubadour to go place to place composing sound and lyrics. Our poet, Mark Raffles, cherishes those traditions, encouraging everyone to express and share poetry. Now, nearly a thousand years after the troubadours, he enjoys the emotions evoked by the grooves as his gramophone spins final records from his vast collection. What music do you and Jeannie enjoy the most, Mark? Well, uh, I, I don't know about Jeannie, but oh no, she, her favourite singer is uh, Greg Johnson, New Zealand, New Zealand singer. Um, mine, I like Bob Dylan quite a lot. Um, follow him around, got all the albums. Got the books, got everything. Yeah, so Dylan is great. Lennon Cohen, I love. Uh, lately, I've been listening to an Irish duo called The Lost Brothers. Uh, that's amazing. So I've got this beautiful song called Fugitive Moon, um, which I like moons and stuff. Um, and then, uh, who else? Foy, Foy Vance. Um, another Irish guy, Dermot Kennedy, another one. I'm, tr- I'm trying to... Uh, I'm trying to keep up to date, if you know what I mean. Yes, or well, certainly the evidence there when you read a string of names like that. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, difficult for all but a minority to make a living, though, from the folk music traditions. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, in, in that in that regard, I I, I really do. In, in, in New Zealand context, I admire um, Sam Hunt. Uh, for actually doing that, you know, devoting, made, devoting his whole life actually to being to being the bard and a, and a troubadour, being out on the road and telling his poems, and you know, like you were saying in the intro there, which is pretty nice, um, telling your poems on street corners or on pubs or schools, where, wherever you could do it, and, uh, and there's a big cost in that, um, you, you know, to to actually say, well, I'm just going to tell poems and, and travel around um, and, we'll, and we'll see what happens. You know, it, it, it's, 
it's a it's a life's calling. And as you say, <laughs> no one pays much money for it, but that's okay because you do it because you love it. And you've been involved in your own modest way in the background sometimes, organising venues for local expressions of the folk and other forms of music. And when you mention poets like Sam Hunt, he's not alone in those that you've invited to come to bring their wordsmith skills. And yeah, yeah. Like, it's like... Um, um, so I've been running these live poet groups in Nelson and Golden Bay for the last, I don't know, 30 years or so now. Get creeping up, isn't it? Flip. Um, and and what, what we've tried to do there is, one, have an open mic session so we encourage all the... Or new new voices and local poets to get out and share their share their thoughts and their hearts, but also we've invited um, um, we have a guest poet. Try to have a guest poet once, once a month, uh, and that's when we've been able to bring into Golden Bay and to Nelson some of the uh, David Eagletons. And when Hone Tafari was alive, he came and Bernadette Hall and um, or Vincent O'Sullivan. All the names, all the names. Yeah. It's been great. It's been great to get them out and into these little out-of-the-way places like Nelson and uh, Takaka and Onikaka. Yep. Um, so, yeah, just to expose them basically to a new audience because often a lot of the academic poets uh, are recognised within the literary circles. But when it comes to sort of uh, doing the Sam Hunt thing and entertaining the crowds on the street, it's often a, a different audience for them. So it's been a great great way to mix it all up. You, you've been reported as saying in the Nelson Mail, Mark, I like the whole idea of the poet as subversive prophet and social revolutionary. So I have always yeah, admired Sam Hunt <laughs> for how he took poetry off the shelf and into the pubs and festivals and onto street corners. Those others... Yep for shaking up the establishment to look at other ways of doing things. Is that Where did you find that? <laughs> Nelson oh, Mail. We, have our, we, have, we, have, we do have our sources. Uh, yes, it was, it's <laughs> quote, quoting... Oh, you. It's, yeah. it's quoting you, Mark. <laughs> That's yes, what you I said. Well, I do rave about those things. Uh, um, you also appended to a list of um, familiar names to those who like the talents of uh, Sam Hunt and others. You admired the words of Bob Dylan's and the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Yeah, well, all the, all the, like, it's what you grow up with, what, what influences you around. And my dad was a minister um, in a church, so you got a, got a lot of teachings, um, got a lot of reading of, of Jesus' stuff. And um, that's always been an inspiration, especially, and wondering too, how come a, a a, a, a rural rabbi wandering yeah. around the streets of Palestine and suddenly becomes a you know a, a, an institution in the West with robes and holy water and all this other stuff. We and, and we've missed often the uh, the guts of what what I think anyway was, of what Jesus was on about, like loving your neighbour and doing good yeah. and feeding the hungry and all those good things. So yeah. I think a poet's got a bit of a role to play in yeah. keeping those those messages alive. Mark, with difference to your father, how do we know that Jesus said what he's alleged to have said all those centuries ago? Yeah, well, you know, uh, what is it called? Chinese whispers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we've got we've got the four gospels of his disciples there, but it, I think it's all lost in translation. Well, that's 
absolutely. But then the, the theme of what was going on, uh, you know, if you take your your uh, looking after your neighbour, for for example, or or searching for home, they're all themes that poets throughout the years have picked up. You know, Dylan's big theme is we're all searching for home. Um, Jesus was look after one another. Uh, so you get all this stuff, and it, it does inspire you, and, and sort of um, you draw on these things. Um, do, um, do. To, to when you when you're writing stuff. I remember we had um, Harry Ricketts down here uh, at some stage doing some poems and at, at the Muscle Inn, and uh, he said he said to me, "I like like your poems. Your, your the well that you draw draw from is your faith and your family and your friends." So that that was quite encouraging because sometimes you think you have to be like everybody else. You know? it, is is Scottish poet Robert Burns still revel in today? Prevalent? Uh, well, I, we we do have uh, we have a few Scottish friends here in the Bay, and they do the Cayley Nights once a year, and that's where you hear Robbie Burns being being spoke. Um, there's another Scottish poet that I find totally relevant is uh, George Mackay Brown, who yes. was from the Orkney Islands, yep. who died in 1996. I think, and I reviewed his um, autobiography for for the New Zealand Geographic magazine one time. Yep. Got quite inspired by him. You hold these open mic nights. Do you say yep. to the participants, leave the expletives at the door because uh, someone might take offence if uh, the F word or other expletives were were yeah, mentioned in their yeah. poetry? Well, we try to we try to hope that people are uh, are, are sensitive to things. You know, one one thing about performing. Um, as you learn, you go. You learn to read your audience a bit, and so uh, if you have expeditors and stuff, and people go, oh, you know, if that's not the audience, no, leave it out. But you can't, you can't really. We don't really say no. You can't say this. And you can't say that. Have you got a poet of your ilk to share with us today, Mark? A poem. Hmm. Something you've written. Oh yeah, I can tell you a poem I've written. Um, uh, this poem is inspired by uh, Hank Williams. You know Hank Williams, yes, old singer. Uh, he was he was a bit of a honky tonk and a bit of a bit of a sad case. Um, um, uh, he was he he died at the age of twenty seven. He was one of the twenty seven club members. Nineteen hundred and fifty two. He was being driven to a, a, a New Year's Eve gig. Uh, and when they arrived, they found him in the back seat of the car, and he he died um, yep. from from something. But anyway, I'll tell you a poem, shall I? Yeah, go for it. Okay, it's called Hallelujah. Rain falls to Hallelujah, and rivers of water ploughed by the wheels of salt and sin. Mufflers calls and pleas. How could you refuse him? Lost the lonely hero, travelling in the back seat of an automobile. Never heard the. Oh, I've forgotten that. Oh, don't worry. It's hard to uh, commit it to memory. The words are there. Lost lonely hero heading for another town. He was dead on arrival. He never heard the sound of another year slamming down. Yet in his darkness there was everything to believe in. His broken light threw shadows across the drunkard in the back seat, wearing three hearts on his sleeve, handling his damning desire like little John Staff. A bent bough from the strongest tree consumed by the fire of what it means to be free. I thought I was listening to Sam Hunt then. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love him. Um, <laughs> he, he copied your he style. Been he hasn't been on the road for a while, though, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. 
You yeah. certainly picked a part of New Zealand that seems to be quite uh, idyllic, uh, poetic even. Uh, you've got uh, place names uh, arising in Golden Bay. You mentioned that you had uh, inhabited Collingwood and uh, Onekaka from time to time. Yeah. And yeah. you've got there even the Devil's Pools, is it? The Devil's, Devil's Boots. Devil's oh, Boots. Is that it, yes. Yeah, up the Aeree Valley, up on the gold fields up there. Yeah, it's pretty nice. You've got caves. Nice that caves, just, yeah. Hmm? There's caves. There's a big amphitheatre up there in one of the caves, too, that sometimes they have events on. Well, well, of course, you elected uh, former National um, Party Minister. Nick Smith is the Mayor of Nelson. How's he going? Well, I think he's going all right. You've got those that love him and those that hate him, but I think he'll be great for the city. He'll get stuff done. Um, no, he's a no-nonsense sort of character, so we'll, we'll see how he goes. And, and he won, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your point of view, very comfortably. So, um, yeah, he's obviously he's got a, if I can quote that horrible word, mandate to do something. <laughs> we heard you were moving north. Some time ago, oh, a few years ago, uh, we're 2016. We uh, we uh, moved up uh, to Snell's Beach to to help out with the family, the kids and their kids and the grandkids and all that sort of stuff. And we spent four years up there, uh, having looking after the little ones. And now we're back down and uh, we're down in Golden Bay. We live up the Parapara Valley. Um, we've got one of the grandies, George, with us at the moment. He's having a good time down here. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that they're going to have the same passion for poetry that you do? Yep. Uh, well, some of them will. You've got to just find your little. You've got to find your little niche, don't you? Uh, huh. And what works for you. So we we run this uh, as well as doing stuff at the Muscle Inn and the Mad Cafe down here. We do stuff at the Dangerous Kitchen. Open mics there, and we take George, grandson, along, and he's written a couple of poems and performed them. He's huh. age nine, so he's getting into it. You've been very concerned for young people over the years, professionally. You taught at primary and intermediate levels and became involved in youth work. You even yeah. did things internationally that concerned relief and development, Mark. Yep, so, yeah, started my life as a school teacher. Did youth work with a church in Wellington for about seven years. Uh, moved from there to uh, working for a relief and development agency called Tear Fund and um, did all their communication type work. Is that the um, influence of your father's ministry that reached you and motivated you in those years? Possibly, possibly. Uh, our upbringing has, has set us on, on a path one way or the other, eh? Yes. Yeah. You said that for a lot of people... It was the first time they'd been exposed to public poetry performance when you invited people to drop by. Is that... Yeah, absolutely, because, like, uh, we've, we've been doing it at the Muscle Inn for a long time. Uh, mate Joe Bell started about 25 years ago, I guess, and I, I helped him get it going. You know, after he passed away, I carried on doing it for him. But um, often at a, at a place that's already a, a cafe or a restaurant, people are there anyway and if they have to be coming for a meal on a Thursday night when the poet's on they often stick around and then at the end of the night they'll say well I've never been to a poetry session before that was lovely or inspiring or whatever other words they say so uh, that's when you strike and you say you can write poetry too absolutely well sometimes it's just great to get people up from the microphone and to read from a, 
and to read from a, a travel a travel travel log or read somebody else's poem from a book just to get used to the idea of, of hearing your own voice is, takes takes a bit of courage. Is it a neglected art, Mark? Yeah, I think so. But although although with the advent of you know if you, you trace it right back, you got your classic poets and then you've got your blues singers. And then that's gone into uh, rap and um, all that sort of stuff. So it's all it's all promoting the words. Today they call it uh, the spoken word, uh, spoken word poetry. And you've got slam poetry, which is great amongst all the, the more youthful members of the community. I've tried it a couple of times, <laughs> but it's good. There's a whole lot of variety of stuff. And, and I think um, there's quite a lot of this. Uh, open mic stuff going on around the country and little events and poetry shows happening. So I think it's in good heart. What would your life be without poetry? Oh, I don't really know. I'd probably be weeding the broccoli more, getting the garden going. Yeah, because I I think having a grounding as a school teacher, you learn to do a lot of stuff. And uh, from that, that's where I developed the whole writing side of things. So I've been writing... I've been. My, I had a company that we used to do marketing and branding and newsletters and stuff like that. So you always, always been writing. But I think having the poetry has actually sort of uh, made the writing uh, a little bit more, um, a little more creative, maybe a little more imaginative. As, as a school teacher, did you have to teach your students poetry as part of their curriculum? Oh, yeah, I always did. I liked it. I remember in 1972, I was teaching at Rangitike Intermediate School in Martin. Uh, one of the best times of my life, that's where I met Jeannie, my wife. She's still my wife. Uh, we met her, We met in 1974. Um, anyway, I'll get you to say hello to her in a minute, if you like. That's we okay. We'd love to. In 1972, I was teaching a, a Form 1 class, and I had been listening to John Denver... Uh, poems, Prayers and Promises, an album that he had. And on there he had he recited this poem called The Box, written by a guy called Kendrew LaSalle, who has just recently passed away. And I taught the kids The Box, and um, and and they loved it, and we performed it at the end-of-year concert. And I still know it, I still perform it now. We have a little thing called The Great Roar, which is a theatrical presentation on World War One, inspired by Archibald Baxter. But I include the poem that we learnt way back in 1972 in that. So starts off with, uh, Once upon a time in the land of Hushabai, around about the wondrous days of yore, they came across a sort of box that was bound up with chains and locked with locks, and it was labelled, Kindly do not touch, it's war. Then it goes on for another ten verses. (laughs) Anyway, we remember that all the time. So I think think getting kids to learn poetry like that is, is great. Carries it with them. Your your wife is with you today. Is your grandson George with you, or is he elsewhere around uh, the? No, George is here. Jeannie is here. Yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a little chat with both of them if you. Okay, here's Jeannie. Hello, Jeannie. Bruce here. How are we? Oh, good, thank you. Well, are you a poetress? No, no, I leave that domain for Mark. <laughs> and and let's say hello to George, your grandson. He's just coming here. Oh, he's right here. Hello, Georgie. How are we? Good. Good. You're an up-and-coming poet. Mm-hmm. Granddad likes poetry. Do you? Yeah. Can you Tell think... Bruce what you did last Wednesday night. Mm. Um, I read poems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
George knows George knows poems off by heart like his grandfather. Oh, that's impressive. So we'd like to hear something you've memorized. George? Yeah. What's Tony gonna do? Mm. Um, winter's day one. Okay. That'll be good. Okay. A winter's day. I'm sitting outside at the old picnic table. The sky above me is dark and grey. A blanket of clouds sits low of my head while the trees dance in the wind. The birds flitter from branch to branch as droplets of rain begin to splash my skin, forcing me inside to take shelter from the winter's morning. Thank you for that. That's terrific, George. Thank you. You off back off to school tomorrow, is it? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so you're being homeschooled by Grandma at the moment? I'm being homeschooled by Grandma. Oh, let's, <laughs> let's have a word with her. Jenny, homeschooling, that's taking on a bit, isn't it? Big responsibility. Oh, for the last 20-so years I've worked with people um, in the literacy and numeracy field. So I've worked a lot with people with dyslexia. So that's um, my passion is really working with people that um, don't quite fit the system. Do you you Um, get the impression that perhaps those difficulties that you're pertaining to, they're increasing in the children of today? Yeah, seem to be, don't they? wonder why. Mm, Don't know. I've just been up in Auckland doing a presentation for some tutors, um, just explaining to them how to set up an environment so it works for every child or every adult or every learner. Yeah. Did, yeah. Yeah. Did you see that news item the other night? It was quite intriguing that a lot of uh, these young people aren't going to school on for various reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's a concern. In, in the Bay, there's 70, 70 families of homeschooled families. It's many. It must yeah. have been a wrench for you in your own family to leave after four years of helping out with the family up on the Hibiscus Coast. Mm, it was, but they're here regularly. <laughs> and you reckon? And we're, we're up there regularly. We've just got a new grandy, three weeks old on Monday. And Golden Bay is where it's all happening, you say? Well, at least... Oh, it's beautiful here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, when you come to the Waikato, you're welcome to come and pay us a visit here at Free FM when you're next in the Waikato. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do that because I, I have a brother who, who's farming in the King Country, Northern King Country. So we're up there quite a bit. And you can bring Georgie with you. <laughs> I will. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, thanks for acquainting us with the wordsmithing that's going on in families and in public at the performance poetry that you organise and it's a pleasure we'll, hey we'll catch you when you up here on Waikato, thank you very much sounds good Bruce, Thanks it's a pleasure it is right. 28 minutes to 2 we'll let them get back to their lunch and I'm inspired by a young person Georgie, hopefully we'll, we'll meet, him, meet him in the next uh, month or so back to Kenneth McKellar let's try it again Ben never spent low and Ben Bollock Ben more. Snow captains blend on majestic they soar. Ben Truckin, Ben Arthur, Ben Alder, Ben Stank. The proud peaks of Scotland are calling me back. Mighty the mountains from sky to Glen Shee. 
towering o'er krakens and grens by the sea. Summits of grandeur caressing the sky, luring me northward as winter draws nigh. Ben Nevis, Ben Lomond, Ben Bolick, Ben Moore, snow-capped in splendor, majestic they soar. Ben Cruachan, Ben Arthur, Ben Alder, Ben Spag, the proud peaks of Scotland are calling me back. Ben Nevis, Ben Lomond, Ben Bolick, Ben Moore, snow-capped in splendor, majestic they soar. Ben Cruachan, Ben Arthur, Ben Alder, Ben Spag, the proud peaks of Scotland. And lonesome, bewitching and bare, inspiring adventure and banishing care. Stalwart and steadfast, so friendly and free. Out of the highlands, forever they'll be. Ben Nevis, Ben Lomond, Ben Morlick, Ben Moore. Snow captain splendor, majestic they soar. Ben Crookin, Ben Arthur, Ben Alder, Ben Stack. The proud peaks of Scotland are calling me back. Ben Nevis, Ben Lomond, Ben Morlick, Ben Moore. Snow captain splendor, majestic they soar. Ben Crookin, Ben Arthur, Ben Alder, Ben Stack. The proud peaks of Scotland are calling me back. Ben Taking you on a tour of the mountains of Scotland, the late Kenneth McKellar, the proud peaks of Scotland. And some of those mountains can be seen via a train mill. Tim Kerwin is general manager of Glenbrook Vintage Steam Rail. His formative years, he yearned to work for the New Zealand Railways. And still in his teens, you did. Tim. <laughs> It's like a dream come true. Good afternoon, Mel. Yeah, no, it is. It certainly is. It's um, it's been a dream of a of a of a childhood, which has led into a dream career. Yeah, it's, it's sort of you know doesn't get any better, and it gets more exciting and exciting as we go on. Well, we know something's happening there because in the last month or six weeks, we've seen more steam locomotives than we did in years. I think around Frankton Junction here in the Waikato. Yeah, I think it was. That was a really awesome sort of venture that we did. We partnered up with our, our good friends, um, Steam Incorporated, who are based in Paikakariki, and, and um, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Um, and so we joined up with them. We got one of their steam locos and some of their carriages and a whole heap of our carriages. And, um, yeah, it was a total of 13 days of steam trains running around, travelling 3,500 kilometres and carrying nearly 6,500 people. So... Yeah. It's, it was amazing. It's a wonderful sound to hear, especially when they whistle. Absolutely. Like, nothing beats, you know, steam and, and what it represents and the history behind it. You know, it, it built our fantastic country. And, um, you know, I think, you know, everything from, from the history to Thomas the Tank Engine, everybody just, you know, loves the sound of a steam train whistle and, and the noise that it makes. So an, ama- an amazing machine. Yeah, we've just, we've just had a train go through the studio. 
exactly. I heard that. Yeah, I hope it didn't take out your lunchroom. <laughs> <laughs> Are you um, noticing the patronage of the steam rail journeys shifting as years pass between generations? I think what we're seeing is, is um, no, I don't think so. I think, we're, if anything, we're seeing an increase. I think, um, you know, as the generation shifts, um, people that would have travelled on steam maybe 10 or 20 years ago, for them it's nostalgic and a trip down memory lane, um, whereas now it's more about, um, you know, new interest in young families and, and sort of, you know, the interest that the STEAM creates. And I guess it, it brings that part of the history that people weren't part of, but they can actually be part of, in, in a, rather than it being an exhibition, a static exhibition, they can actually be part of it and feel it and smell it and touch it and actually really be part of it. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that's why we're seeing a new generation of people really become interested with it. And I think it's about the way you innovate, um, how you produce that um, product to put out there, um, so that it, it, you know, it shows what steam has done for New Zealand steam technology. And I mean, you know, it's not just steam locomotives. There's, there's a wide range of steam out there, from the Urns Law to to the William C. Daldy in Auckland. Um, you know, but it's just it's just making sure that. As a, as, a as a preservation society that we, we package that product right to be able to, to, to get that messaging out there about, about what we represent. And, and I think we're, we're doing that. And I think, you know, the successful trips around Frankton Junction and, um, and, and everywhere else sort of demonstrate the, the interest that people have and the enjoyment that they get from it. Must be a, a nightmare when a part gives out and you need a replacement for outdated machinery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we... We're very lucky that, um, you know, groups like ours have been set up by some amazing, amazingly talented people, um, not necessarily from a railway background. In fact, some of our most talented people don't come from the railway um, industry. It, it comes back to engineering, really, and the fascination um, that people have with engineering and their hobby and interest in it and um, and bringing that, bringing that into our organisation and harnessing that interest to, to be able to you know, maintain these machines. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, it's hard to sort of rock up to a place that was building steam engines, you know, 100 years ago and say, can I have a replacement part? Because normally <laughs> their factory is now a bunch of apartments somewhere. So, you know, you, you've got to be innovative on that and you've got to pull together all your resources with the other groups and, um, you know, um, yeah. you've got to bring in people into your organisation that can, that can you know, use their skills to recreate these things. And, of course, trains inspire great music, like Take the A Train, this version by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, look, that's, that's, that's incredibly right. I mean, we have, um, you know, up-and-coming musical talents visit our railway um, quite frequently to do music shoots. In fact, we just uh, we just had one recently. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess there's that sort of mystique around what what trains bring. You know, I mean, they connect cities, they connect regions. And I guess um, you know, musicians, you know, it's very artistic. And so the whole sort of mystique around steam uh, would no doubt trigger some really awesome sort of inspiration for for music and music videos. And yeah, we certainly see a lot of interest in that. And um, you know, the there certainly was a lot of music um, back in, in the steam era that, that um, you know, was triggered by trains, and, and I think it's still happening now, you know. Yep. Safe to still say it's happening now. Right. We're going to bring in 10-year-old J.D. Bowman, who's a train spotter from Frankton. He is the man, well, young man, 
who films his trips on trains. I don't know how many train trips. Good afternoon, JD. How are you? Very good. How are you? How many train trips have you taken? Oh, quite a few, especially down south. Um, very good. Um, we um, chased the JA down to Oakuni and we stayed the night as well. And you know quite well, I suppose, from all the train trips you've done, Mr mm. Tim Kerwin, General yeah. Manager of Glenbrook Vintage Steam Rail. Joy D, have you met Tim? Oh, yes, many times. I, I like seeing him on the engines. And he's, he's definitely very popular, so... He's a good advocate for Oh, yeah, steam definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yes. He set the example of being one who was only a schoolboy when he decided that he wanted to be a... A, a loco driver, and and he it came true. Oh yeah, definitely. He's very lucky, and he's hey, well, he should be, he's very talented. We'll let Tim and JD have a few words together. Oh well, yeah, no, it's uh, good to talk to you again, JD. It's been a couple of weeks since we've um, seen you with a steam engine down in Hamilton, but no, I think I think you what you guys uh, mentioned there was absolutely right. I think um, you know um, guys was. JD's um, interest and passion for rail and trains is exactly the sort of people that that we at Glenbrook um, like to bring on board. They have a real positive affinity with rail, and that's what you need. Um, you need people that are well. I believe you need people that are very passionate about it um, because they will give it their everything. And um, I think that's the difference between people that come into a workplace. Um, and they walk through the front door at their start time and all, they, all they're thinking about is when they can leave again to go home versus people that walk in the door, which will be the likes of JD in a few years' time, that will go, how can I give my best? Um, and that's the people that we want, you know, that's the, that's the rail business that we do. You know, we go out there and think, what can we, when we walk in the door, what can we do that's, um, you know, going to really make people's day? And you really need to get people on board with that um, as part of your organisation to make it successful. And... You know, where JD started is where all of our guys started, um, myself um, and everybody else, you know. Uh, for me, I travelled around a lot as a, as a kid. Um, my father was in the railways, and so I spent a lot of time around trains and railway stations, just like JD. And so, you know, seeing him is, is just like looking in the past for me. And I think, yeah, that's exactly where JD will end up. And, you know, he'll be a great a great advocate for rail in the future. And, um, you know, I hope there's more like him out there with his positive attitude and friendly nature that, that will, you know, just really be a big part of our industry in the future. Passing on the passion, one generation to another. Thanks, Tim. Tim Kerwin, General Manager of Glenbrook Vintage Steam Rail. We look forward to the, the sound of the steam train coming into Frankton Junction. Any well, we'll, we'll be back again soon. We'll be back very soon. Keep an eye out for us. Uh, We'll certainly be back shortly. Hey, thank you, Tim. We'll, we'll uh, leave you with the, with the train going through the studio again. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Goodbye, Tim. Bye-bye. How are you, JD? Oh, I'm very good. How is everybody here? It's good. It's like a family, the railway world, isn't it? When you... mm, definitely. Um, very nice having Tim, Tim on the radio and... Um, of course, he's very intelligent, so it's quite nice to hear someone so intelligent um, intelligent, and so into railways like me talking on radio. I think it's very important to have someone like Tim as a manager, general manager, to be talking on radio because he probably puts the best for the railway community, especially at Glumbrook. And you're 10 years old and looking at rail history and loving the, the spirit of travelling in the older times that way with steam and, and when freight was moved the same way. What have you thought to share with us today? 
Well, now you've put it very well, but and since you want me to explain what I've been up to lately, well, a few weeks ago, me and my mum travelled down to Oakuni. We chased the train to Oakuni, and we stayed a a night at Oakuni, and then the next day. Um, we went on the train from Oakland to Taramanui and back, um, the Rarimu Daylighter Special, I believe. And on the return trip, we were able to have a photo stop on the Rarimu Spiral. So everybody got to get a photo shoot of the JA climbing the grades through Rarimu. And it was very special seeing as not many photo shoots or photo stops are done nowadays. So that was very special. And also just seeing the natural New Zealand um, king country was very nice travelling, especially with a JA at the head of the train. Did you see the big uh, carrot in your Awakuni? Um, I didn't on this particular trip, but on a, on a trip uh, before this trip, yes, I did see the big carrot at Awakuni. <laughs> hey, um, any any plans to go on a train before Christmas or after Christmas? Because you you got holidays coming up. Yes, I do have plans. On the 20th, I'm planning to go up to Glenbrook where I'll hopefully be seeing Tim um, and a few other of the Glenbrook guys. But, yep, I'm planning on the 20th of this month to go up um, to Glenbrook and have a few train rides and have another look around. And it's quite special up there in Glenbrook, so I'll have lots of fun going up there. How many more weeks of school have you got? Um, I don't normally keep up to date with how many weeks I have um, left the school, but they put it quite briefly, too many. Hey, plans for the school holidays to come this summer, the long break? Yeah, well, it's quite hard to make plans, um, especially for this, what seems like an unlimited amount of time. It's quite hard to fill because you plan it out and then you realise, oh, I still have a few more weeks, so what should I do in those weeks? But I'll probably be travelling around maybe, um, maybe go up to Glenbrook again. And because we are planning of going back to Waikino as well again, but that will probably be um, next year, but... We will probably will be making plans for the school holidays. And wherever you go on rail, the camera is there waiting to trap it and put the images up on the very night that you're taking the videos sometimes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You're well known for your site on, and, the, and on the net. Yes, yeah. It's a pleasure. Hey, uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see you before the end of the year again and... Uh, yeah, no, you've you, you chosen your Christmas present yet. Um, well, I wouldn't call this a, a Christmas... Well, I guess I could call this a Christmas present, but I'm getting a few guys from a model railway club down in Hamilton to help me build a layout, um, hopefully, so I can run model, ra- model trains in my bedroom. And oh. so they're going to help me get some plywood and the odd scenic models and whatnot. And maybe um, if I do all the house chores and uh, clean the dishes for, for, um, for a long time, then maybe um, if I save myself enough money, I could probably get an engine that I really like. It's a pleasure. Hey, we'll, we'll catch you again before the end of the year. Here's a good train song. It's a swinging safari all aboard the train. We go with the Bird Camford Orchestra. <laughs> 
Dwayne Porter is next, and then Trevor to end the day. Bert Camper and his orchestra and a swinging safari. Good afternoon, Dwayne. Yeah, good afternoon. What have you got to speak about? Um, the roadworks for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, corner of Tristan Street and Collingwood Street. Just got a design plan in front of me. They are starting down below off the intersection of Ward Street and Tristan Street, right outside Wintech. And they're putting crossings in, so um, it's going to be delays off off the roadworks. So you just be just be aware. Um, that's what's going to go on. I don't know how long it's going to be on there for, but um, yeah, so the colour of Tristram and Collingwood Street, and also the roundabout. Yep, but I'm glad I don't live in this area anymore, so I'm not I'm not uh, missing much. So. The plan is to redevelop this area from um, from Tristram Street outside BP Tristram to... Are they going to do any work on Collingwood Street or they've already done it? No, they are doing it outside BP Tristram mm-hmm. and they're working towards um, Girls High. Oh, it's, so it's, it's going to be middle, bedlam in the morning. So it's the middle of that traffic island. They're going to put crossings in the middle... Uh, from where the traffic islands are, going across the road, and then they're upgrading the footpaths along Tristram Street. Uh-huh. Oh, well, look out for traffic delays. And, hey, just be kind to the um, the people with the signs, of course, because uh, the stop-go signs, just be friendly to them. Um, they're only doing their job, and hopefully getting well paid for it. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, so that's what's happened tomorrow morning. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, expect um, delays. The only alternative to take is um, Thackeray Street down towards Anglesey. Anyway, we've got Trevor before we go. Just another reminder Christmas is coming pretty quickly. Some people who don't wish it was Christmas every day, yes. Well, the fun has started. The Christmas decorations are up. Well, the it's, it's all go. Good afternoon, Trevor. Good afternoon. I, I'm interested in what you just said. Christmas decorations up already. Presumably that's the shops. Oh, yeah. That might give me the go-ahead to decorate my balcony rails. Oh, you're, you're famous for your <laughs> Christmas lights. You've just heard Dwayne talk about... Uh, the, inter- uh, the interruption on your street with the roadworks. Well, if I put a pedestrian crossing 
uh, across the road where, the, the, where they've got a, a sort of a stop island for pedestrians at the moment. Pedestrian gives way to traffic. I'll never get out of my driveway because there'd be a constant backlog of traffic. As it is, I can barely get out. <laughs> so, so that's going to cause a problem there. Yeah, what's been happening in your life this week? Well, I thought I'd talk about what's going on uh, television. I watch a fair bit of that. But I'd like to point out some factors I see on television, particularly these uh, reality shows like uh, Trevor Cops chasing people and uh, they're speeding and whatnot, and dangerous, dangerous criminals as well. But I notice that when they apprehend them uh, and they get them down the ground and handcuff them, they handcuff them with their hands in front, not at the back like they do in New Zealand, which means their hands are free to be a weapon. While in the back of the patrol car, they could knock the driver out, whoever's sitting beside them, take over the car and drive off. They won't need to change gears because it's all automatic. So they should really adopt our policy of handcuffing them at the back yep. so they can't do that. Another thing is about television. Have you ever read the TV guide? Yep. Re- repeat, repeat, repeat. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, all the long yep. way through. And a lot of them is to do with uh, reality shows and very, very rarely get any serial uh, movie, movies and things like that yeah. like you used to. Well, uh, talk about television and reality programming. It's, I see it was allegedly he's a, it was an ex-television reality star who injured the police officer this week, seriously, injury, yeah. seriously injuring her on. Uh, it'd be interesting when that gets revealed. Whoever that was, I, I mean, oh, the, could the, be anyone. the I can see, I can see all the twitters going. Oh, it was him. It was him. Yeah, I mean, it was him. to choose from. I mean, <laughs> they're all, all suspects now hey. until this gets clarified. Yeah. Hey, thank you for you. anything else, Trevor. Before we disappear into the ether for the <laughs> afternoon. Well, I, I was just thinking back in the early days of television. You had to pay a TV licence, but yes. you only got a fraction of the amount of ads you get now. And you never, I never recalled any repeats in the early days yeah. of television. No. Hey, did, uh, you, hey did, you, did you watch the Flintstones? I did, actually, yes. That, that was quite humorous. Because we're going to play the theme from the Flintstones, because <laughs> it's, it's so popular. Let's play it right now, I, I, boy. I, I've never had any repeats on that either. <laughs> like one of the greatest cartoon series of all time. Here we go. Oh, yeah, the theme from the Flintstones, great music. So, yeah, bringing back the memories. Well, that's about it for today, and um, I hope uh, you enjoy the rest of your day. It's The weather's variable this afternoon, so I don't know what it's going to be like when I return here to record tonight. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon. Harmony Waikato is next. Let's leave you with a bit of Scottish this afternoon. Leave you with the late Andy Stewart. Ah.
as I get done by Glasgow, a lad I chance to see. He wore a feather in his cap and fastened on his knee. The lassie walked there by his side and as the man get by, the lassie looked at everyone and then I heard her cry. Oh, get me the lad you'll see from Russia to the fore. The mice in the swing and the hilt man that's the cock of the knocker. Now you'll see him down in London town, you'll know him by his eyes. The proud and free and blue to see as any highland skies. As he swings along, he sings a song that tells you where he's from. To Scotland, Tales and Bends and Tales, he surely must belong. Say, he can be the lunch you'll see from Washington to the fall. No much in it to swing and a guilt, my man's the cock of the there she your Irish Dan Bigara and your Englishman your Dovey Bach from Wales your Spanish Joe and your Frenchy Bo and other kinds of mills. The lads they say from you I say are very hard to beat and why down under you would wonder at the men you So come from Inverness, from Kerchar or Kintyre We'll meet a lass, and soon we'll hear her money, help and fire She'll do the lad, she'll want him bad, she'll even join his plan She kens the other lad, could love her like a highland man Say me to me, the lad shall see from Rockham to the fore The voice in Lint, the swing of the Gilman, that's the cover the Lord The handy, sandy, fine and dandy lad, the cock of Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.